when we look to the future, do we focus on the uncertainties or the secured promises that we have in Christ Jesus? Today we come to the end of the book of Deuteronomy and the end of this sermon series as we focus today on chapter 34. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as we come to your word, if we read it in and of ourselves, depending on our own understanding, we will not benefit spiritually from your word. And therefore, we call upon you, O God, the Holy Spirit, to do as you have promised, to apply the word of God to our hearts, that we might not only hear what God has for us, but that we might understand it in a way that pleases him and enables us to live in light of his commands and in light of his grace. And so we call upon you, God, to work in us today, apply your word, enable me to be faithful, enable us to hear faithfully. In Christ's name, amen. Deuteronomy 34, now God's word for God's people. Then Moses went up from the plains of Moab to Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah, which is opposite Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land, Gilead as far as Dan, and all Naphtali, the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, the land of Judah as far as the western sea, the Negev and the plain that is the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees as far as Zor. And the Lord said to him, this is the land of which I swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give to your offspring. I have let you see it with your eyes, but you shall not go over there. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. And the people of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. Then the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. So the people of Israel obeyed him and did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face, and like him for all, and none like him for all signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect, reviving the soul. And may this word, this 34th chapter of Deuteronomy, may God use it to revive our souls today. Amen. And you may be seated. Moses' greatness is unquestionable. His leadership in the exodus from bondage in Egypt was the seminal event 
that resulted in the people of God being led, though it took 40 years, to the east bank of the Jordan River, poised to cross over and take possession of the promise. But as great of a leader, as great as a prophet, as, as was Moses, he was looking for one greater. He expected one greater. He anticipated a greater exodus. Deuteronomy ends, the Pentateuch ends, Moses' physical life ends, but it's not the end because Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, and Moses point to the future, point to one greater, point to a new and greater exodus, point not to a faithful servant, but to a faithful son. Exodus ends, but not really. Exodus points to Jesus. Jesus who secures all of God's promises for all of God's people. And that is what we will be talking about today. We'll look at first a mountain top view, secondly, a grave in Moab, and thirdly, a future expectation. First, a mountaintop view. I grew up in North Carolina, went to school in the mountains of North Carolina. I lived a good bit of my life around the Blue Ridge Parkway in the mountains of Western North Carolina. And one of the things that the parkway is known for, at least in my judgment, are the many overlooks where those traveling on the parkway can pull off park and behold a beautiful vista from the mountain of the land below. And I just remember the times I've been able to go to an overlook, and there are overlooks like that all over the country where there are mountains. But you just, you stay there for hours just looking to the horizon to see what you can see. A beautiful vista. There's nothing like it in my judgment. Think of Moses. After all the many years, all the travail, all the disappointments, all the victories, the one really failure that he made that we'll talk about in just a moment, but the many faithful events of Moses' life as God's servant to lead Israel through the Exodus to the Promised Land or the East Bank on the other side of the Jordan from the Promised Land. Think of him finally getting to the top of the mountain, his mountaintop view of what he had believed in for so long, what really was his life's work to bring the people to the Promised Land. Think of Moses. Think of all that was going through his mind as he gazed out from the mountain and gazed into the promise. Moses admitted in chapter three, or chapter 31 and verse 2 that he was old. I can't get up and go out like I used to. 
and he realized that new leadership, younger leadership was necessary to take Israel to the next level of purpose in God's economy. But he wasn't too old to climb a mountain. Verse 7, it repeats, he was 120 years old. And God, the, the scripture tells us that Moses' eyesight was still good. He could still see. He could still behold the beauty of that mountaintop vista overlooked view. And his vigor was unabated. This 120-year-old was trucking up a mountain. Still, there were still tread left on his tire, obviously. Verse 1 tells us that Moses left the plain of Moab. He climbed Mount Nebo to the top of Pisgah. And this mountain range was located opposite Jericho. Pisgah most likely was the northernmost part and the highest peak of what was the Mount Nebo mountain range. It was west facing, which meant that from Pisgah there was a clear, unobstructed view of that which was west, i.e., the promised land. From there, the, the text tells us in verse 1, the Lord showed him all the land. I mean, the Lord is a tour guide showing Moses where each of the tribes showing Moses the, their inheritance. Look over there, Moses. There's where Judah will be. And of course, Ephraim and the half-tribe of Manasseh, they're over here on this side of the Jordan River. I mean, can you just imagine that? The ultimate tour guide. And God starts from the north and moves in a counterclockwise direction cover, covering the entirety of the promised land and winds up to the south. Now, we do need to understand that when the Lord says, or when the text says in verse 1 that, that the Lord showed him all the land, the all does not suggest that Moses saw every, every square acre, every square inch of the promised land. But what the all informs is that Moses saw a representative amount of the promised land or that which symbolized the whole of the promised land. Moses looked into the promise, the whole of the promise, the promise that God made with Abraham and the promise that was made to Abraham and Abraham's descendants, the promise that was passed down to Jacob and Isaac, the promise to the patriarchs and their offspring, the promise that Moses had believed, the promise that Moses had written about, the promise that Moses had preached about. And finally, Moses comes to the place on the mountaintop where he looks into the promise. He sees it. Verse 4, the Lord tells us, I have let you see it with your eyes. And as we've heard time and time again, but you shall not go in. 
The Lord's judgment is repeated here. Moses not being allowed to go in because of Moses' disbelief with regards to the water from the rock at Marabah, where Moses did not uphold the Lord as holy before the people. Numbers 20, verse 12. It's interesting that the book begins with Moses bringing the new generation right to the eastern bank of the Jordan River, yet not being able to see the land at that moment. And then all of the events that we've considered in the book of Deuteronomy unfold. Moses' sermons unfold. And as the book began, the book ends, but with a much more significant event with Moses actually being able to see the land. We see God's tender mercy and his compassion upon Moses and allowing him this privilege to see the land. And again, we think through but he was not allowed to realize it. Well, I, I believe this pictures and depicts our lives. Every time that we open God's word, this, this is what, this is one point I, I want you to see. Every time we open God's word, it is like a mountain top you, where we're able to look in to God's promises, where we're able to see the beautiful vista of God's promises, to see the panorama of God's promises in its fullness, to see the vastness of God's promises in his words. Some of those promises are partially fulfilled in our day, God promises that he will be with us. He will never forsake us nor leave us. And we experience that promise in part today. But the complete fulfillment of God's promises is for the day to come. It is a day off into the future. And like Moses and God's people down through the ages, we believe the promises and we trust God that one day we will realize them in full. Moses came to the end of his life on top of the peak of Pisgah in view of the promise so close. But he continued to need to believe. He was waiting to die, having not, and he would not actually realize that promise in this life. Think of your life. You believe in heaven while you're waiting to die, having not yet realized it. Secondly, a grave in Moab. You know, we go to lengths to show respect for 
the body of one who has departed this life. And one way that we showed respect is just through the whole burial. And then we mark the grave with some kind of a marker. We go to great lengths when someone dies to bury them and to mark their graves. One of the most unique burials in all of human history is this burial in Deuteronomy chapter 34. In verse 5, the death of Moses in Moab is, is recorded for us. After he looked into the promised land, he died. And notice what the text says. He died, in verse 5, according to the word of God. So Moses had a biblical death. I mean, he was faithful in death. He died according to the word of God. I mean, the Lord had already said seven times that Moses, you will not go in to possess the land and you'll die. And yet again, he repeats this. Moses, you will not go in and, and, and actually realize this, this earthly temporal promise of setting your foot on the land of Canaan. You will not realize that in this life because you're going to die on top of Mount Nebo. Moses died according to the word of the Lord. In chapter 32, verses 48 through 50 of Deuteronomy, the Lord commanded Moses to go on top of Mount Nebo and there he would die. I mean, Moses' death was according to Scripture. Moses was waiting to die, believing in the promise, but he would not realize the promise during his earthly existence. Think about that for a moment. The purpose of his life, his life's work, what he had believed, lo these many years, the same promise that was believed by God's people since it was given to Abraham. Moses believed it, but he would not possess it. He would die having not realized it. In verse 6, the burial is described. And the grammar is pretty clear here, at least in the Hebrew text, because the subject of verse 6 is he, the Lord. He, the Lord, buried Moses. Now commentators differ about how we should understand he, the Lord, buried Moses. Some commentators would say, well, Moses really didn't die and his body really didn't experience corruption. He, he was taken up like Enoch and Elisha. Some commentators would suggest that. Other commentators might say, well, when the text says that, that, that God buried Moses, that's another way of saying God used human means, i.e. maybe Joshua and some of the other fellows went up with Moses to the mountain and he died and the Lord just simply used these fellows as his instruments to bury Moses' body. The problem with that second understanding is that the text is pretty clear that it was an unmarked grave and no one knew, no human being knew where it was. I don't know. I suggest then that we just simply take the, the, the most plainest reading of the text 
and understanding in that God showed a special honor to Moses. And God conducted a private burial service between himself and Moses' body. And he buried it in an unmarked grave and no one knew where the grave was except for the fact that it was in the valley of Moab. God showed special honor to the one that is called the servant of the Lord. The reference to Moses' grave being opposite Beth Peor is a clue. A clue that, that might suggest a reason why this burial service was private and why it was an unmarked grave that no human being had any idea where it was. You may recall, and this has been mentioned throughout Deuteronomy, just how the Israelites were so prone to idolatry. It didn't take much to get them to turn from the Lord and raise something else up as an idol to worship. And so at Beth Peor in Numbers 25, 1 through 5, is an instance of one of the great episodes of rebellion that Israel carried out against their covenant God when they turned from him and began worshiping the Baal at Beth Peor. And I would suggest to you that the designation, this grave is opposite somewhere in the valley of Moab, opposite Beth Peor, is a clue that says God did not disclose this burial place to protect the people from yet another occasion to be tempted to commit idolatry. I mean, can you imagine the grave of Moses? The text tells us how deeply the people grieved when Moses died. Yeah, they went through the standard 30 days of mourning, but yet Moses was their great leader. He's the guy that went on Mount Sinai and received the Ten Commandments. And he is the one who had preached to them ever since they have been in Moab. And he's the one that laid hands on Joshua as his successor to lead them into the next phase of the nation's development. You know as well as I know that if they knew where that grave was, that there would have been a shrine there, there would have probably been some altar there, they would have worshipped Moses, they would have worshipped his grave, they would have worshipped the grass that grew on his grave. And it was a kind act of mercy for God not to disclose where he buried Moses. Moses to protect the people. The death and burial of Moses points to three realities. First, it shows that the Lord loved Moses and, and honored Moses' service. The Lord buried his body, unique in all of Scripture. Secondly, Moses' death was necessary for Joshua to be the successor. The text tells us that the people quickly shifted their allegiance from Moses to Joshua that Moses had laid hands on Joshua before he died and that because of that 
Joshua had been granted the spirit of wisdom and the people followed Joshua and would follow Joshua across the Jordan and to take possession of the land. But thirdly, Moses, Moses was waiting to die, believing the promise, but would not receive it. That's important for you and me today because that's where we are. Waiting to die. Believing the promise. In particular, the promise of heaven. But not receiving it in this life. And so I want to ask another question. I started out with a question. I'll pose another question at this point. Was Moses' belief based on a false hope? Was Moses' belief representative of a failed expectation? Think about that question. Moses believed all those many years, devoted his life, all those many years for the realization of this promise. He was waiting to die, believing, and he would never realize it in this life. One of the difficulties that we face, well, one of the difficulties that I've faced is expectations not being met. Does anybody have an expectation that, that has not been met, is not being met, that you are kind of concerned may not be met? Now, this doesn't apply to me and my marriage because Ray has met all my expectations. So I, I just want to give that disclaimer. This, I'm not talking about myself. When I give this example, we marry, not me, we marry, I did marry, but we marry expecting our spouse to be perfect and make our lives perfect. I mean, Renee is perfect. She has made my life perfect. Expectation there. We get a new job thinking our lives will be revolutionized. We buy a new house, we buy a new car, we make new friends, thinking life is going to be what? Great. We trust Christ and we expect no more difficulties. Life is going, I'll just be able to put life on cruise control because I've got Jesus as my co-pilot. That's how we think. We tend to think, this is an old saying, I'll say it. We tend to think the grass is greener on the other side and when we get there, we still got to mow it. Future expectations are normally unrealistic and rarely ever met. We sang about how well Christ satisfies us, but our expectations, we're never really satisfied with them, are we? That's life. But there's one expectation that will satisfy, that, that will perfectly satisfy us, that will perfectly be met. And that's what I want to end with today. Moses was the greatest. Look at verses 10 through 12. Even in verse 5, he's called the servant of the Lord. This may re refer to Moses' loyalty and trustworthiness. God called him that. That's how the Lord viewed Moses, his royal agent, his servant. And then we find that 
that Moses is unique as a prophet. The text doesn't say that Moses knew God face to face. The text says the Lord, get this, the Lord knew Moses face to face. That's unique with regards to Moses. His greatness is further memorialized in the signs and wonders that he did, especially in the Exodus event where he led the people out of bondage in Egypt. He is described as a, as a prophet like, like none other. His exploits in leading the people, his, the way God worked through him in some respects was a terror to the people because of how gifted and powerful Moses was and all the incredible things that God used him to do. He was great. Moses was the greatest human prophet, but even the greatest human prophet that is known by God face to face, that is called the servant of the Lord, believed the promises, but it was never realized in his life. He died hoping in the future expectation of one coming who was greater and would accomplish a greater exodus to secure the promise and promises of God for his people forever. That is the hopeful expectation that Moses had as he died. His expectation was one to come in the future and fulfill what he said in Deuteronomy 18.15. Remember, Moses said, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Moses' hope, Moses' expectation was in this prophet, greater prophet, in the future. Moses died on the peak Pisgah, his body buried somewhere in the valley of Moab, unmarked grave. And the next time we come across Moses in Scripture, is in the Gospels, in the account of Jesus' transfiguration. Turn to Luke 9, 28 through 31. We'll read this account in Luke. Luke 9, 28 through 31. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish, accomplish at Jerusalem. Moses died on the mountain, and next time we hear of him, he's on a mountain with Jesus <laughs> and Elijah. Isn't that incredible? And the transfiguration teaches several things. First, 
it teaches Christ is all glorious. We get a glimpse of Christ at the right hand of the Father in all of his glory right here in this passage. Moses representing the law, Elijah representing the prophets. When, when a Hebrew would speak about the Old Testament scriptures, they would think in terms of law and prophet, representing the entire Old Testament was represented there with Jesus, declaring Jesus is a fulfillment of all of the Old Testament scriptures. We point to him in all of his glory. And the second thing that the transfiguration shows us is that Moses made it to heaven. He didn't realize the promise in this life, but he realized the promise in the life to come. God was faithful to Moses and ultimately fulfilling the promise of Canaan, which symbolized the promise of heaven. Moses made it to heaven by God's grace and through the work of Christ. And the third thing this text shows us is why Moses made it to heaven, why I will make it to heaven, why you will make it to heaven, why Elijah made it to heaven, as well as Moses. Because what were they talking about? Wow, Jesus, Elijah, Moses, talking. Think about that. And what were they talking about? Jesus' departure in Jerusalem that will come. If we look at the Greek word departure, it, it is Jesus' exodus. They were talking about, now, now get this, Moses, the servant of the Lord, who God called to be a redeemer figure, to go and stand before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and do these great signs and wonders, who led the people out of bondage in Egypt through the Red Sea and all the way to the brink of crossing over the Jordan to take the promise, Moses, who is one of the central figures in the establishment of the earthly kingdom of God, the people of God, Israel, is there talking with the Redeemer who is about to accomplish a new and greater exodus to lead God's people to the ultimate promise, heaven itself. They were talking about Jesus' exodus, his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. Moses received the promise in full because of Jesus the Redeemer and Jesus' new and greater exodus freeing God's people forever from bondage to sin, Satan, and death. 
Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6 that Kevin read earlier points to Jesus and his superiority to Moses in every way. Moses was great, but Jesus is so much greater. Moses was honored by God, but Jesus is all-glorious. The text tells us in verse 3, For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. And then in verses 5 through 6, Now Moses was faithful in all of God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Jesus, but Christ is faithful over God's house. Get this, as a son. It's great to trust in a faithful servant, but it's greater to trust in the faithful son. And we are his house, the church, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and our hope. And what is our hope? Our hope is in Jesus, the Redeemer, who accomplished a new and greater exodus that, listen to this, that secures the promise for God's people. Not wishful thinking, but secures the promise for God's people. Moses waited to die believing and never realizing the promise of setting his feet in Canaan. But the promise of Canaan, heaven, was secured by Jesus for Moses, and Moses made it to heaven because of that. He made it to heaven. I will make it to heaven. You will make it to heaven. If our hope is founded, if our faith is in Jesus the Redeemer and his new and greater exodus. Deuteronomy ends by pointing to Jesus, the faithful son, who accomplished redemption for the people of God, who brought a new and better covenant through his new and better exodus, who is in every respect superior to the faithful servant Moses. Jesus was Moses' hopeful expectation. And he is our hopeful expectation today. As we stand on the verge of Jordan, and we are standing on the verge of Jordan. Why do I say that? Because as we're saying in just a moment, we're all bound for the promised land, if you know Jesus. We are standing on the verge of Jordan. We're, we're in effect on a mountaintop looking out into the future, looking to the horizon. What is our expectation? As we're looking out, are we focused on all of the things that are going on in our world? Are we focused on our world gripped by a pandemic? Are we focused on our nation besieged with civil unrest and social strife. Is that our focus? Or should our focus be like Moses, who was looking into the promise 
We must, we cannot ignore all that's going on in our lives today. We must live faithfully as God's kingdom people in this world by loving him and loving our neighbor. But our focus as we look to the future, as we're on that mountaintop looking out, our future must not be on all of the stuff of this world, good or bad. Our gaze is to be set on the promise. We should be looking into the promises, as I said earlier, in God's word. This is our mountaintop view. As we go to God's word and as we gaze on the many varied and wonderful promises of God, chief among them heaven itself. That should be our focus as we look to the future. We must remember that we have a faithful son, that we have a redeemer who has accomplished a new and greater exodus that secures God's promises for us, that secures heaven for us. Dr. Sean Lucas, a member of our presbytery, wrote a really great article entitled Looking in the Promised Land. And Sean helps us understand the end of Deuteronomy. He said, as those who are like Moses, you and me, pilgrims looking into the promised land, let us remember that all we long to see, all that we believe, all that in which we hope shall come true. Jesus, was, Jesus has made it secure. He invites us to stand right now on the verge of Jordan and peer into that land and rest and delight where we shall dwell forever. Do you and I have a view of heaven today if we don't? We should go to God's word and ask him to give us a view of the promised land. We are bound to the promised land, heaven, as sojourners heading to that wonderful destination. Let us remain hopeful in the work of the faithful son. Like Moses, let us look into the promise, believing the faithful son has secured all the promises of God, including heaven itself. He has secured those promises for you and for me and for Moses and for Elijah and for all of God's people. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we turn to you asking one thing. Give us a grand panoramic overlook Mount Pisgah vision of where we're headed, where we're bound, the promised land. Amen. If you would take your bulletin.